This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 24th, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The message is by Father Ron Baird. I'm going to do something a little different today than I normally do in the sermon time. Um, I have to think about this week. Um, Part of it is uh, at 9.30 and 11, they're having the children's presentation instead of the sermon, so it kind of frees me up to think a little differently about things. Today is the uh, 26th anniversary of my ordination to the diaconate, if you can believe that. Um, funny, I remember, oh, you don't have to applaud. But, um, doesn't seem that long ago, honestly. I mean, but, um, and uh, Thursday is my 25th anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood, so... Um, I guess you can now say you officially have an old priest. Uh, so as I was thinking about that, it got me reflecting on my time, you know, as a priest. And, and as I was thinking about that, I thought about the first time that I uh, was at St. Matthew's, this congregation there, um, and the Sunday and what it was I preached on. And I preached on a, uh, a phrase from a contemporary Christian artist uh, whose name is Michael W. Smith. And um, it was about um, the journey will be long, but here's where you start. Love one another. I don't know that I really knew 19 years later the journey was going to be quite that long, but <laughs> I guess I should have. Uh, but, um, but love one another. And, and as in thinking about what that, what came to my mind was another song of his, which is um, I'm getting back to the heart of the matter. Um, it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And so what I want to do, which is a little bit different, if you'd open your prayer book to page 323, is I want to talk about what what do we mean when we gather for worship? There are going to be sort of two parts of this. Um, both have to do with the first half, but I want to talk about what impact this has upon us. You know, one of the things about Episcopal liturgy is that it can be very um, um, ritualized to the point that we do it by rote. We don't think about it anymore. We just march to the tune, and we don't even actually remember having said it, much less given all that much thought or intention as to what it was that it meant. But in particular, I want you to look at the bottom of the page with the first prayer um, that is down there. That prayer is called the Collect for Purity. Now, prayers are collections of thoughts. That's why they call them collects. Um, and so, collect for purity. Who is it that we want to be purified? Us. Um, and why? Well, not just to be acceptable, but to, to worship. I mean, that's what we gather. And so we invoke the Holy Spirit right off the bat. And if you notice... We start off with some interesting phrases. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open. Do you ever stop to think about the fact that um, nothing in your life is hidden from God? I mean, one of those things that we kind of know, but you know, it's sort of like that there's air and we breathe it. Well, we all know that. But that's different than really living your life as though your heart were open to God. Jesus talks a lot about that in the scriptures. He talks a lot about the God who reads men's hearts. You know, it, it talks a lot about why it is that we shouldn't judge. 
Because we can't really read what's in someone's heart, can we? We can assume, we can project, but we never really know for sure. Only God knows what is in our hearts. And so when we gather, one of the very first things we do is acknowledge the fact that God knows what is in every one of our hearts when we come in this morning. Part of the question, though, is do we know what's in our hearts when we come in in the morning? And are we conscious of the fact that God's aware of that? The second thing is that to whom all desires are known. It's always been sort of that struggle for me with prayer. Doesn't prayer seem somewhat redundant to you? Well, I mean, if you think about it, God already knows it, doesn't he? So if God knows it, why do we need to pray it? You know, what's the point of that? Does he need reminding? Is he getting old and forgetful? I mean, <laughs> well, probably not. No, actually, we're the ones who need the reminding. And so we are acknowledging right up front that our hearts are open to God and that everything that we bring into this room, every hope, every dream, every desire, be they good or ill, by the way, is already known to God the moment we step foot in this place. And then we go to the second, the other kind of flip side of that coin, which is, and from whom no secrets are hid. Now, you all don't hide secrets. I know that. But you can't really hide them from God anyway. Actually, the worst secrets that we hide are the ones we hide from ourselves. You know, the ones that we don't want to admit. You can pretty much tell what those are. Those are the ones where people who are close to you, when they challenge you about something, you get defensive. Chances are pretty good that if you get defensive about it, that's because you don't want to know it. And you don't want it to be that way. But you can't really do that with God. He already knows. You know, we hide secrets from one another. We hide secrets from ourselves. But nothing's hidden from God. Whatever you did last night or last week or... Whatever, God already knows. He was aware of it before you walked in this morning. And then we go more to the point of the collect. We ask him to cleanse our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What in the world is that about? A scrub brush out and scrub down our heart? What, what, what do you think that means? When you say to God, when I say on your behalf, cleanse our hearts. What am I asking him to do? Wash away our sins. That's part of it. Yeah, that's the second half. I want to get more to that in a minute, but yeah, it's preparation. Cleanse our hearts. You know, when you feed people, people come over for dinner, do you clean your table? You just go, well, it's dirty, I'll get by. <laughs> you know, we, we clean things up, don't we? You know, we, we cleanse our hearts means wash away all of those desires, all of those secrets, all of those things, so that our hearts may not only be open to you, but open in general. You know, eliminate from our care and concern this day all those things that we bring in. They'll be there later. But right now, wash it clean. 
Make us a clean slate so that we can truly worship. And, and how is that done, which is the second half of it, is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, we tend to think of inspiration as being, um, Eureka! <laughs> I had a great idea. That's not what inspiration means from the Greek. In the Greek, it really means, and, and in the ancient English, but it literally says, which is inspirited, to put your spirit in us. Now, the word enthusiastic, by the way, comes from entheos, which means in God. And so we want him to cleanse our hearts by the Holy Spirit filling our hearts with God's presence so that everything we do on this morning might be directed in a new direction, not the concerns about how we're going to pay the bills or what we're going to do with the kids or you know any of those things, you know how we're going to get the grass cut, whatever it is that's on your mind, but rather wash all that away, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then comes the sort of punchline, the reason why. We ask God to do all these things that we might perfectly love him. That's why we're here, is to show perfect love to God. Now, without the Spirit... That would be impossible. But with the Spirit, it is very possible if we don't quench that Spirit, that we can truly be focused on Him alone. And, the second half of this, that we may worthily magnify His holy name. What does magnification do? Makes it bigger. What else? Clearer. You can other, do other things, too. If you're taking a magnifying glass in the sun, it can, it can burn things, too, can't it? To, to magnify something means to focus it, to really narrow it down. And, and that's what we're asking God to do, that we might focus on his holy name, on who he is. Now, when you come into church, some of you who were born and raised in church, might have been taught when you come into church, you first thing you do is you kneel down and you pray to prepare yourself for worship. Anybody here learn that in catechism? Three, four, five. I don't know what happened those days. I think we're all too busy. Um, for one thing, we can't get down our knees as much anymore either. We're older. But, <laughs> but it doesn't change. You know How you do that, I don't think was really the issue. They were just providing a way that that was done. But it is important that we allow God to cleanse our hearts and that we realize that what we are about on this morning is Him and not us. That we focus our full attention on His presence in our midst and that in doing so, we might actually magnify His presence among us so that others can see it, maybe even people who don't know Him, and so that we can love him. Now, I wish I could say that every time people come to worship, that's exactly what they're doing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But how many times do we forget all of that? And we just sort of, oh, i got to get to church. You know, we get to church and we're sitting there, we run into some people we haven't talked to since last week anyway, if not longer. And we catch up with them and 
you know, we, you know, if something happens we don't like, we get upset about it and we get start grumbling about it, you know, or we um, think the sermon's going on far too long as we get out of here. You know, I've got something to do afterwards. I don't have time for all this. You know, all of those kinds of things that might interfere are ways in which we can quench the Spirit so that our hearts are not cleansed and so that we do not perfectly love Him and we certainly cannot magnify His holy name. And when we forget that it really is all about Jesus, then we lose the heart of worship. And when we lose the heart of worship, we lose ourselves. Everything that we are meant to be. So right off the bat, when we come to worship, these words weren't just put in there because somebody thought, well, we got to kind of do something to get things moving a little bit. No, I mean, it was really meant to draw us in, to focus us on worshiping Almighty God and to leave everything else outside and let it all go so that we can bask, if you will, in the presence of a powerful and loving Savior. So when we do that, you can imagine as we go into hearing, you know, the, the, the summary of the law, which is followed then currently by the Kyrie, which is Lord have mercy. Quite honestly, if we loved everybody as we love ourselves and love God above all things, um, we wouldn't have to say, Lord, have mercy, but chances are during last week you messed up on one of those, so Lord, have mercy, I mean, because we need it. And then we go and we hear the word. But then I want to skip over, if you would, to the confession that we'll be doing later. It's on 331. Now, the first part of all that is pretty much what we, you know, know. we sin against God and thought, word, and deed by what we've done, what we've left undone, not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbors and ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. All that, you know, okay, good. We're going to kind of tell God, okay, we really are sinners, you know, and we've done things and not done things that we should have done, which is fairly self-explanatory. But what we tend to forget in all that, because we get so wrapped up in the first part of it, because after all, it is all about us, isn't it? You know, I need my sins forgiven. Because if I get my sins forgiven, then I'm good to go for another week. Then I'll come back and get a refill next week. And we totally miss why we confessed all that thing. And it says then, for the sake of thy son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. We're asking God to do something for his son's sake. What does that mean? Why would we ask God to forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake? Yeah, but how is our him forgiving us for his sake? And if God doesn't forgive them? Yeah, well, I mean, what would be the point? He came to die for our sins, and so we don't... Yeah, too bad. So we ask him to forgive us our sins, first of all, for Jesus' sake, because he's already paid the price. But that's not all. That would be good too, wouldn't it? Because then it'd still be about us. I did all these bad things, Lord. Your son died for me, so you don't want him to have to do that for nothing. So you forgive me, okay? 
Now, for a lot of us, we probably like it to stop there, but it doesn't stop there. It says, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in what? Whose will? You ever think about that? You ask God to forgive your sins so that you can delight in his will. What what does it look like to delight in God's will? Nancy wants to go be with her in the arena with a bunch of lions and sing to them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's one thing it looks like, but what does it look like in our life? Yeah, listen to him and then be excited about the opportunity to do the things that he gives us to do. That's what it means to delight in the will of the Father. And this says, and... So you don't just get to back and say, oh, goody, I just love the will of God. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen, Jesus, thanks. I mean, it doesn't end there. But it says, and walk in thy ways. Not only, not only do you change you know, your orientation and the way you look at things, but now you go and do the things that Jesus gives you to do. And... Every time that we ask for forgiveness of our sins, we put those things in there, don't we? Lord, I want you to forgive me my sins so that I can be delighting in your will and I can be walking in your ways. Now, what does it mean to you if somebody says something to you, but then they do the opposite? Braille? Did they mean it? Probably not. I mean, they aren't taking it very seriously. Hear that or they meant it in the moment and then when something else got in the way, they quit meaning it. And even that, we are very clear, is not for us. We delight in His will and we walk in His ways for a purpose, that God's name might be glorified to the glory of thy name. Beginning to get the common thread in this, it really isn't about us. It really is about God. And if you want to allow God to live in your life, if you want God to pour the abundance of his blessings upon you and and all those wonderful things that we, we like that part of it, the forgiveness of sins and all those things, there's this other side of that contract, which is what we do. Do we perfectly love him? Do we worthily magnify him? Do we delight in his will and walk in his ways for his glory? Those are the things that every Sunday we come here and we ask for him to do. And in one sense, it's an incredibly you know, radical change in what the world says. You know, nowhere in the world... Well, you see this kind of thing where you go in and it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And so when you come to church, however you do it, you do it when you first get here by kneeling down, that's great. It's a nice way to do it. If you do it some other way, that's fine. But 
center yourself on the presence of God and think about the things that we're praying. Don't just read them out, you know, or, or listen to them as we say them, but really pray them. When I was in seminary, my liturgics professor I had for they called practicum, where we practice chapel was what we called it mostly, but when we would go in there, um, he would say, don't read it, pray it. Don't read it, pray it. Now, you've heard priests who don't pray it, haven't you? You know what that sounds like? It goes differently. Sometimes it's sing-song, you know, up and down, but there's never any variation in the pattern or, or the tone. Sometimes it's just boring because they're trying to get through it so fast that they don't put any inflection on anything. And you're not even sure what it was they said. It's not that they're bad people. It's that they become focused on the liturgy and not on praying it. There's no point in having it written if all you're going to do is read it. There's great value in it if we really mean it by praying it. So this summer, I'd like to invite you to practice that, putting those things into practice. Really pay attention to what you say in the liturgy and, and really try to live into um, what those things are saying, to really grasp hold of them and to mean them. Because it's about Him, not us. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.